Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Good morning, Sozo. How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. My name is Mark. I'm glad that you are here with us this morning. Thanks for coming and hanging out. Did you all enjoy your extra hour of sleep last night? Who all didn't even notice your extra hour of sleep last night? Who all thinks that we changed the clocks is stupid? Anyways, um, enough of that. Happy uh, Daylight Savings Time, um, whatever that might be. Can you adjust that so it stays on this slide for me, please? It keeps being goofy. We're not ready to go anywhere else. All right. um, Hi. How's everybody doing? We're doing good? I love technology. Um, So uh, we we are kind of taking a break here for a minute. We're going to take a pause for a couple of weeks. Uh, to address something. I think it's, it's right and good, and even, I will say, necessary sometimes, come on, to revisit who we are as a church. Talk to me. Um, it's, it's, it's important. Uh, you know, one, of the, one of the interesting things, and you all know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, um, one of the interesting aspects of trying to do something as a group is everybody in the group has to do it or the group doesn't do it. Talk to me. Right, right, right. Like, like you, you, parents, you, you can say what your family is like all you want, but if your kids aren't like that, right, then, you, then your family's not like that, right? Like, we're just, we just have a very calm and peaceful home, and then your kids are like terrors, just screaming and yelling and ripping wallpaper off the walls, right? Then you don't have a peaceful home, right? We, we, we all have to do so. So it's, it's really tempting uh, for me as a, as, a, as a communicator, as a teacher, as a preacher, as, as, a, as, as the teaching pastor here, to just want to say what we are without helping us become what we are. You tracking with me? And so I think it's right and good and, yes, even necessary sometimes to just pause and take a look at certain aspects, certain things that make us who we are, to take some time for reflection and contemplation to examine and say, is, is, the, is the statement of who we are matching the substance of who we are. We say that again. Is the statements about who we are matching the substance? Is our expression, come on, the same as our experience? Or is there a disconnect there? And if there is a disconnect there, why is that disconnect there? What do we need to do to, to, to shore up that where, where we may be lacking? So we're called as individuals to belong together in being who he has made us corporately to be. So I want to take a couple weeks, uh, I think about two weeks, and we're going we're gonna to address some of these things. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and go to Psalm 127. And I just want to get some, I just want to get some, some basic principles in us before we talk about the, the, the specific principle that we're going to talk about this morning. So let's go ahead and stand to our feet for the reading of the scriptures. We love the scriptures, amen? Yeah. We love our Bibles. Yeah. We love Jesus. Yeah. We love that he speaks to us and meets us in the scripture, Amen. The Word meets us in the Word. Psalm 127, 
just going to read two verses here, one and two, says this, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. Catch this last verse, please. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for your voice. We thank you for the word. We we receive this as your word to us today, and we, come on, we rejoice in it. We are glad in it. We believe you've made today. You fashioned it. You didn't just plan it. You didn't just orchestrate it. You made this day. And so our choice, our choice is to respond with celebration and gladness. We rejoice in who you are in making this day. And we ask that this day, custom-made, handcrafted, boutique as it is, would be, would be perfectly fulfilled in our response to this day. You made things to take place this day, today, that will never take place again, have never taken place before. And we want to engage in what it is you're doing right here, right now. So awaken us to the reality of what you are doing, Holy Spirit. Grace us with a keen awareness of what it is you're doing. That we might engage our hearts, that we might engage our minds, that we might have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and yes, God, feet to walk in obedience to what it is you're doing. Walk in harmony, walk in unity, walk in togetherness in what you're doing in the earth for your glory, for the good of your creation. Everybody says? Amen. All right, amen. Why don't you go ahead and greet somebody around you real fast and grab yourself a seat. Amen, amen, amen. We are going to jump in here. It's good to be in the house together. We're going to jump in, and and I'm going to do something uh, rather foolish. I'm going to attempt to both introduce our topic for the next two weeks and cover one of our topics for the next two weeks, which is really kind of dumb to do. But I'm going to try. We'll see how far we get. We'll see how good I do. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, here's, here's my challenge to you. I'm going to preach real fast, so I need you to respond real good. That was, that was, you missed that pitch. I'm going to preach real fast, so I need you to respond real good. I've often, I've often told you all that, that, that the better you respond, the better I preach. That for just a little bit more, you can get a whole lot more. It's like McDonald's. It's like supersize it. Just like one more amen, and you might get a whole new revelation. Who knows? Uh, so, so, so we're going to be talking for the next few weeks about this idea of abide. Everybody say abide. Uh, by abide, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this this week, but by abide, we want to define terms around here. Abide is to rest, receive, and remain. If you go back uh, about a year, you'll know we, we spent a lot of time on this. 
uh, within our, within our, our, our body, within our, our time of, of, of teaching and preaching. So I'm not going to go back and spend a ton of energy reestablishing this in, in specificity. Rather, I want to try to, to help us in its application, come on, to us as a people. That was where... We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. All right. Let's do this real fast. I need to do this super, super quick. Um, lessons from Psalm 127, verse 1 2. So these, these are just principles that I want to get down. I don't want to preach these. I just want to make sure that we hear what we just heard. Right? Because am I the only one that's willing to admit sometimes when, when the Bible is read or when I read the Bible, come on, I'm going to get real honest. I need some backup here from anybody who's willing to be honest with me. Sometimes when I read the Bible and when I hear the Bible read, it's sort of like when Charlie Brown's teacher talks. <laughs> It's just, right? It's just, it's just, it's like, uh, I know I heard the words, but I didn't really catch what they meant. Right? 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 It's because we need the spirit to make alive what it is that God's just speaking to us in his word. So I want to make sure that we're all together on this and we're not missing some of these core principles that are laid out here. It's laid out in poetry, but how many of you know God hides principles in poetry? So here we have some principles. Here's, I'm going to go as fast as you'll let me. First is this, God is the builder and the watcher. God is the builder watch. From the, this text, we see very clearly God is the one who is building. God is the one who is watching. So here we go. Here we go. God is building his house. God is watching over his kingdom. That means that we don't strive or labor to build something for him. Rather, he is at work to fulfill his good purpose, his good plans in and through us as his people. Who's the builder? God is the one who's doing the building. So as we're talking about who we are as a people and, and, and wanting to make sure that we're not missing out on the, on, the, on, the, on the being of our being, come on, together, I don't want us to think, okay, well, I have to muster this thing up and do this stuff. I have to accomplish it. I have to achieve it. I have to earn it. I have to merit it. No, no, no. He's the one building. Come on. He, he's building his house. He's watching over his kingdom. Everything is all right. The incumbent is still on the throne. All right. Second thing that we see is anxious toil has no place in his purpose. You have no reason or excuse for worry, fret, fear, or dread. Amen. Now, somebody needs to hear that again, because you, you, you don't, you, 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 like, maybe you could amen it, but you can't walk it. You have no reason or excuse for worry, fear, fret, or dread. There is no reason. Did you know that, that, that the scriptures tell you that he has not given you a spirit of fear? Okay, so here's what I need you to understand. You have no excuse, no reason, no justification for your worries, for your fears, for your fretting, for your anxiety, for all of that. You have, you have no reason. Not in your own personal life, not in the globe, not in, in what's coming next. Can I, can I liberate somebody? You have no responsibility to trip over your future. Am I the only one who does future tripping? It ain't even a problem yet. I'm not even there yet, and I'm already freaking out about it. But what if this happens, and that happens, and that happens? I'm playing like, like fantasy games in the future, and I'm not even smart enough to figure out what today is doing. We have no reason. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care how unlikely the outcome seems to be. Uh, I don't, I don't get, you have no excuse. Why? Because he's building. Because he's watching. That's not your responsibility. That's not your job. You have no reason. This means that that which can be gained 
from the misery of an unquieted spirit is incapable of producing any soul satisfaction. You can freak out all you want. Your soul is not going to be satisfied in your freaking out. You have this amazing capacity as a human being to think something until it's dead. You can figure out every possible outcome that could ever happen. You can future trip it into good, into bad, into indifferent. You, you can make yourself think you'll always be in the situation or you'll be out of it tomorrow. And guess what? That, that little journey you took down into the fantasy future is not going to satisfy your soul. Can't do it. It absolutely cannot do it. I love the way it says... Eating the bread of anxious toil. It literally means that which you have been able to produce out of your own anxiety, out of your own stress, out of your own worry. It cannot satisfy your soul. Rather, knowing your beloved is key to satisfaction. Knowing that you are beloved. The only place you'll find a satisfaction for your soul's desires is in the assurance that you are his beloved taught you this word. I'm going to keep teaching this word in the Greek. This is Old Testament. So yes, I'm aware that it's written in Hebrew, but the New Testament word for beloved is the word declared over Jesus as he was being baptized. It is agapetos. It is one of particular favor. I'm trying to tell you this for the last several weeks. God is particularly fond of you. What do you have to worry about? What do you have to fear? What do you have to fret? Why are you freaking out? Why are you future tripping? You belong to the one who is building. He's, okay, let let me me say it to you this way. Can I say it to you this way? Can we hear it this way? Can 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 we write this on our hearts? He's the builder. You're the beloved. Don't try to flip those. See, we've been talking a lot about lately, as we've been in John, one of the themes, one of the rhythms, one of the consistent revelations within the gospel of John is our status as sons of God. And that status is given to us, and we've been talking about that a lot, and I'm not going to spend time this morning talking about that. But what I want to do is this. I want to remind us that there is a mirrored revelation within the scriptures, and that is that you are a son of God. You're a son of God. And you are the bride of Christ. And those two revelations have got to be understood, held in tension, perceived together, or else we miss things. Okay, I want to be super careful and I want to walk very, I want to tread very, very lightly because I know that there are people within this room that have had the most amazing, closest to perfect pictures of fathers in their life that they ever could and you have nothing negative to say about your dad and then there's my kids. And then there are those that, um, then there are those that maybe didn't have, come on, such a great picture of what it means to have a dad in their life and there's scars and wounds and issues. So I want to be careful in what I'm saying here, but, but just let me, let, me, let me use this a little bit. I can treat my son differently than I can treat my daughters. There are expectations I have on my son that I will never have on my daughters. If that bothers you about gender equality, and we can talk about that later. I'm not limiting, come on, I'm not limiting my daughters about anything, but there are expectations I put on my son that I never put on my daughters. What I'm saying is this. There are things that come upon us in the revelation that we are sons of God that are right, good, and justified to be put on us. But there are things that will never be put on us as sons that will only be able to be put on us as the bride. 
Because one expectation I will never put on my son is to wear a wedding dress. Come on, somebody. That's not an expectation I have for him. That's not something I request of him. Right? There, there is, there is, there is, there's a reason why both of these things are stated within the scriptures. And today, and for the next few weeks, I think we need to, we need to, we, come on, come on, we need to step a little bit more and lean a little bit more and put a little bit more tension on the bride side of who we are. He is the builder, you are the beloved. That means you need not produce or provide anything. He takes care of that. What I mean by that is nothing of necessity rests upon you to provide. But rather, your inclusion is for your blessing and your benefit. The space he left for you didn't come from a place of need, lack, or want in him, but rather a place of need, lack, and want in us. In his goodness, in his love, in his grace, he leaves a place for us so that we can be involved in what he is doing. Out of goodness. Come on. He shares in his doing and shares in his building. So those are the principles I want us to get. That's, that's not even my introduction. So, so that, that's what I want us to... I want to I'm just, you hear me? I want to make sure those things are in our heads. He's doing the building. We're doing the beloved. Right? Okay, so what is it that specifically I feel like he is calling us to look at over these next few weeks as it relates to who we are in him? Here it is. Write it down. We are people of his presence. We are a presence. They're, 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 listen, listen, I am grateful. I, I am so grateful for, the, for the, the beautiful tapestry, come on, of the local church within Spokane. Right, this is the city I live in, so I'm thanking God for that. Thank you for the churches all over the world too, but, but right now I'm, I'm grateful that there are other churches in the city that have, that have unique expressions of who God is because guess what, guess what, guess what? God is too big to be, to be fully expressed by one given church. So when we talk proudly, boldly, articulately, and with great confidence and with great conviction about who we're called to be in him, that is not a diss, knock, or, or put down of anybody else who's not called to be those things because they're called to be things that we're not called to be. We are called from our very foundation to be a people of his presence. We are presence people. You've heard of purpose-driven churches? Well, we're a presence-driven church. Come on, we echo the prayer of Moses. If you're not going to go with us, we're not leaving. So I want to talk to us about presence. I want, us, I want, to, I want to push into this. So, so I'm, going to, I'm going to put my teaching hat on here for just a minute and make sure that we're laying some solid foundation. Cool? We'll get to some fun, preachy stuff in a minute. So as a people, when I say that we are a people of his presence, here's what I mean. That we live from the reality that he is faithful to his word to never abandon us. We, are, we, are, we live, we, we have our daily existence needs to flow from the reality that he doesn't do abandonment, he doesn't do forsaken, he doesn't do get lost, he doesn't do I don't want you around. God does not do abandonment. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus promises, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. Jesus promises, I am with you always. So, so we got to get rid of the stinking thinking that says, well, when I screw up, he takes off. No, it's way worse than that. 
while you're screwing up, he's watching you. Mike, 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 oh, my grandma used to ask me, she'd come in the room where my, me and my cousins were watching TV, and she would go, would you watch that if Jesus was in the room? Yeah. I got a little older and started walking with the Lord, and we rented some movies, we came home and came to her house, we were staying with her, and she said, what do you guys do? I said, well, we rented some movies, and she goes, well, would you watch them if Jesus was with you? And I said, well, he always is, so he's going to watch them whether he likes it or not. Um... <laughs> That's probably not the right attitude, uh, but my theology was technically correct. Um, right? He doesn't do abandonment. He doesn't do let go. He doesn't do forsaken, right? He's always there. He's always with us. You belong to him, and he's not letting you go. He, you are his by, by, by the fact that he built you and by the fact that he redeemed you. Okay. So, because of that, because that truth is true, we long for the tangible manifestation of his presence with us and the tangible manifestation of our proximity to him. Because he is with us, we are jealous for him. Man, this is so this, this will help somebody. We we don't we don't we don't we don't engage in jealousy for him to try to convince him to come and be with us. We're jealous for him because he's already here. And so we're jealous for that time with him. As we were raising our kids, and, and they were when they were when they were smaller versions of what they are now. Um, my wife and I had this rule. We had this thing we called couch time. And that was after I would come home from work or Ty would come home from work. We, we'd be away from each other. We would have time where we would sit together on the couch and we would tell our kids like, "This is just time for mom and dad to connect." You guys are welcome to be in here, but but we're we're talking. This is our time to talk. Our time. This is couch time. They, they knew what couch time was. I was jealous for those moments. Can I tell you, that, that's what I mean by the fact that he's here. I wasn't, I wasn't jealous for it to try to get my wife to sit on the couch. I was jealous for that time because she was there. We need to be jealous for him because he is here, not because we're trying to get him to be here. Are you tracking the difference in that? One is a place of striving. The other is a place of resting. Now we're jealous for him to manifest that, to make it tangible, to make it a visceral reality. We're jealous for his presence not to gain access to him, but because we already have access to him. We long for that manifestation of an abiding truth, come on, that he is here. He's here when you feel him. He's here when you don't. We're jealous that we might experience the reality of him being here. That's what I mean when we say we're a people of his presence. This is why we value corporate worship. It's apparently why I value corporate worship. <laughs> I thought I'd get some answers, at least from some worship team members. <laughs> Come on, we value our time together in worship. We value corporate worship. Now I just feel like you're patronizing me. Um, <laughs> What do we mean by corporate worship? By corporate worship, I mean the cyclical act of exalting and encountering God. Corporate worship is the cyclical act. You guys understand this word? Cyclical act of exalting and encountering. We exalt him, we magnify him, we make much of him. Again, I've taught you this, I'm just reviewing. When we say we magnify the Lord, we're not talking about microscope magnifying, we're talking about telescope magnifying. 
We're not saying God is an itty-bitty little thing and we want to make him seem like he's a lot bigger. We're saying God is so gigantic and so huge that to get a full picture of him, we have to back up. But So in order to get a closer picture of him, we have to magnify a piece of him like a, like a telescope magnifies the moon. I almost said the sun, but you should not point a telescope <laughs> at the sun. Somebody's writing that down. No telescopes at the sun. <laughs> Okay, we magnify him, we, ex- we exalt him, we make much of him. This is why, this is why you, will, you will see the consistent rhythm of our worship always drives us to a place of declaring his holiness and his worthiness, his character, his goodness, his majesty. We might talk about praising, we might make declarations about what he does, we might talk about all that, that aspect, but ultimately, as a worship team, as a, as, a, as, a, as a church, we are driving to that moment of just stepping, come on, outside of the temporal, time-based physical restrictions of our lives into the eternal reality that he is holy, that he's not like anything else, that our best idea of him falls ridiculously short of how good he is. So we exalt, but we're also a church that believes that we do not exalt from a distance, but we, we exalt in intimacy. As we exalt him, we encounter him. As we encounter him, we exalt him. This is the cyclical nature. Do we exalt to encounter or do we encounter to exalt? The answer is yes. I don't have an excuse to not exalt him if I don't feel like I've encountered him right now. I I I need some backup on this one. How many of you can testify that there have been moments in your life, come on, come on, let's get real, real. There have been Sundays you've walked into this room not feeling his presence at all, and out of the sacrifice of praise, he has met you. Where I'm not feeling it, I don't really want to, I don't even really, I mean, look, I'll be, I'll be willing to be the most real. There have been times where I've looked at the, the words on the screen and gone, God, I don't even know if I believe that. Come on, I might believe it, but I, I don't believe it. It hasn't made the 18-inch journey from my head to my heart right now. I've stood in this very room with, and had that experience. I've also stood in this room. I sat right over there in the back of the room at, at a memorial service for parents who had to bury their baby as they lifted their hands and said, he is good. And I've seen him meet us even when our circumstances, which we're going to talk about in a minute, I shouldn't get ahead of myself, even when our circumstances don't match it, he's still worthy. And yet he is faithful to meet us, come on, as we turn our hearts to him. I am so jealous for our corporate worship expression that we don't let it get watered down or distracted or muddied. But we engage in this cyclical act of constantly encountering him and exalting him, exalting him and encountering him until we don't know which has happened first. We're just lost in it. That's why I, lo- I love that song that we sung, that new song you guys learned this week, that, that as we behold him, we exalt him. So here, here's my question, and this is where I, this is, that, that was my introduction. Why is it we struggle then? I want to talk about this. Again, we have to individually engage in this if we're going to corporately engage in this. So we can talk about how awesome corporate worship is, and you can be sitting there right now thinking like, yeah, but I don't really feel it. 
I don't really, that's, that's, maybe not me right now. Maybe that's for some other people. Maybe next week is my week. Maybe next month. Maybe after I figure this stuff out. Maybe after I'm healed. Maybe after my marriage is restored. Maybe after, maybe after, maybe after, maybe after. And I want to try to address for us where this, this, this apprehension toward his presence, where this apprehension toward proximity really comes from. So let's turn in our Bibles again. You don't have to stand up again. You can, you can stay seated. Don't worry. You've already exceeded most Americans' exercise for the day. So you're good. Did I say that out loud? Um, let's go to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 38 through 42. Now, as they went on their way, pause, this is Jesus and his disciples. So as Jesus and his disciples went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. We're not there this right now. Um, And sorry. Um, Martha welcomed him into her house. Verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the feet of at the Lord's feet, and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted. Everybody say distracted. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him, that him is Jesus, and said, Lord, she got the first part right, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, tell her then to help me. Do you catch the, just, I'm not going to preach on this part, but do you catch how funny that statement just was? Lord, do this. I find it funny. Verse 41. This, this is why I find it funny. But the Lord answered. <laughs> she addressed the Lord and she got an answer from the Lord. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I want to try to use this this story here to help us understand What's happening internally inside of us in this fun little dialogue? Because here's the truth. We both have a Martha voice and a Mary voice in our heads and our hearts. So I want to just, I want to use this as a, a nice little backdrop. Here's what I need you to see. Jesus is present. In, in the story, are you tracking with me? Come on, track, track with me, track with me. Jesus is already present. He's already there. He was passing by. Well, let's, let's, let's back up, right? Jesus is present. He is the incarnate reality of the eternal God. So we, we, can go, we can go back as far as you want. The statement, Jesus is present, is a true statement. He was present before time. He was present at the beginning of time. He was present, come on, throughout all of human history. He was incarnate, became human. Divinity wrapped in humanity. God wrapped in human meat. 
He was also present in the sense that he was going through her village. He was there. He was available. He was also present in that he responded to her invitation to come to his house. Jesus is, come on, present. Don't miss the, the, the defining factor of what's going on in this moment. The defining reality is that Jesus is present. Just like it is, come on, for us in our daily lives, the defining reality of your life, the truth that ought trump all other truths is that Jesus is present. You don't got to convince him to show up. You don't have to hope that he's there. You don't have to wonder if he's going to make it on time or not. Jesus, come on, is present. He's right there. He's in the midst. I also want us to see that God is always the first, the one to take the first step. He's always the initiator. Come on, in our relationship with him as the, as the groom and us as the bride, he's the one that pursues us, not the other way around. Did you know that God desired you when you had no desire for him? Which fundamentally means that you cannot believe a lie that says that maybe God isn't here because you haven't done enough. Because he wanted you when you didn't want him at all. So your lack of desire for him is no reason for you not to have an encounter with him. I just freed up like 19 charismatics right there. Because you were told by somebody, well, the reason you don't encounter God is because you don't want him enough. I thought the want was on his end. Come on, somebody. Jesus is present. If God was not by nature incarnational, there would be no such thing as visitation. So Jesus, in Jesus' coming, track with me here, it was a manifestation of the character and nature of God. We've seen this, right? When, when Jesus shows up, he shows up to show us who God is. So we need to understand that by his very nature, he desires incarnation. He desires visitation. He wants to meet you where you are more than you want him to meet you where you are. So I talked to the people with a lack of want. Now let me talk to people with a plethora of want. He wants more than you want. You cannot outwant God. His wanter is bigger than your wanter. <laughs> Becoming real clear to some of y'all, I didn't finish high school, huh? Um, he wants us more than he, we want him. He desires to meet with us. He desires to visit us. It's not unlike him to make himself known. So our, our jealousy for him to make himself known, are you tracking, connecting all this? Our, our jealousy to be with him is not in some attempt to try to change his heart, but rather to capture his heart. His heart is one to visit us, to be with us. He doesn't need to be convinced to visit. I love the way it says it here that she welcomed him. What's our job? Just to welcome him just to make space for him. Martha does just that. She simply makes space for Jesus to come in. I, I, did you hear what I just said? Martha is the one in the story given credit for making space for Jesus. And yet, every sermon I've ever preached from this text, and I'm not going to say every, but everyone I can remember heard from this text, paints Martha out as the villain. But if it wasn't for Martha, whew, Jesus wouldn't even be there. 
It was her house that she opened up. Now, there's some argument amongst scholars because it's very unlikely that a woman at this time in history, I'm not saying this is the way it should be, I'm saying this is the way it was, that a woman at this time in history would have owned a home. So it could be that it's not her home as in ownership, but her home as in she may have been, it's believed, to be the eldest amongst her siblings. We know that Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. So it could be that by her role as the oldest, that's why it was claimed as her home. We don't really know. But regardless, she opens up the space that she had some authority in. Come on, for Jesus to come in and be welcome. So don't see Martha as the villain. I want to correct some things in the way we've seen this story. Here's, here's why this is so important to me. I said earlier that we have the voice of Martha and the voice of Mary within us. And some of you heard you have two natures. And if you've listened to me preach for any amount of time, you know I don't believe that the redeemed have two natures. You have one nature. You have a redeemed nature. You have the nature he gave you. Your old nature's dead and gone. So I'm not saying Martha is the old nature and Mary is the new nature. I'm saying, hello, hello, even, come on, even when we only have one nature, there's still some work to do. Who does the work? Who's the one that does all the correcting in this story? Right? So, so that me saying there's still work to do is not putting it on you. Who's the builder? He's the builder. I'm the beloved. I provide nothing to this process. So what we see is, 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 is Martha welcomes him. Martha makes space for him. Martha opens up her home. She took it, but the problem was she took it, the burden upon herself to get him to come. Not recognizing that before she did any of the serving, he was already there. Because what? Jesus is present. This is why when when we're going to get to to Jesus' response to her request for the Lord to do what she wanted him to do. He makes this little statement, only one thing is necessary. Many commentators believe the reason why he was saying that is Martha was trying to put on some elaborate feast. And he was like, look, we, we we were good with just some sandwiches. Calm down. Like, you're getting all fussy about all this stuff that needs to happen. Like, a bowl of, of chips would have been just fine. We get all caught up in this. She gets all caught up in, okay, well, if, if, if he's going to be here, then, then I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I have to do this, and I need to accomplish this, and I need to go, and I need She gets all twisted up. I love the way it says she was, she was distracted. Can, 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 I get, can I get some, some love from somebody in the room that loves the old King James? The old King James says she was cumbered. That's a word that you don't even have to define because you just know what it is by the way it sounds. You're like, I know what that is because I know I don't want it. She was all twisted up. She was all knotted up. Can I tell you that you are not designed to be driven by cultural expectations? You're not designed to be driven by your own drive for success or the temporary validation of others. I'm sure in her thinking, she was, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure Martha was thinking, well, but, but I'm the hostess, so this is all the stuff I have to do. Culturally, it would have been expected for the women to be the ones to do all the work. Again, I'm not saying that's how it should be. I'm saying that's how it was. Don't send me angry emails about this. I just deliver the news. She felt this cultural expectation of, but I, everyone's going to judge me if I'm not this great hostess. She wanted to put on a successful gathering for Jesus. It's clear from her response, right? Look, do you not even care? Do you not even notice? Is nobody noticing that I'm the only one sacrificing? Come on. Isn't it 
amazing how good you are at seeing all of your intentions and everybody else's actions? Some of you are going to hear that later. She's being driven by all these things. Can I, can I just stop for a second? You're not designed to be driven. Do you know that the scriptures never say that the Lord drives you? He leads you. He goes before you. He's not behind you with the whip. He's before you with his voice. And see, here's the problem. Everything else in our life, every other experience you have tells you that all of those qualities are good and virtuous. To fit into the culture that you're in, to, to meet cultural expectations, to, to be driven for success, to, to, to sacrifice and be noticed by others and be acclaimed. We, we, we put people on the cover of magazines and charge other people money to look at their picture. Read their words. We say this has value, being noticed by others. And so, listen, listen, listen. We take all of... I almost said crap, but I'm not going to. We take all of that stuff and we carry it into his presence. And here's what I want to tell you. That's okay. And stop it. It's okay. Like, it's okay. He, Jesus doesn't kick Martha out. He doesn't say, hey, you're distracting everybody with your running around. Get the heck out of here. No, he lets her. He lets her just spin and swirl in all of her chaos. Because, come on, come on. Does anybody know Martha? Because I know Martha. I've been to Martha's house for dinner. You know the person that's just running and freaking out all the time, and you're like, dude, we're good. Like, you can calm down. Apologizing for their immaculate home, and you're like, I just want to punch you in the face right now. <laughs> like, sorry my house is a mess. And you're like, what, uh, Where? And here's what I need you to see. Jesus doesn't kick her out. Your anxiety, I said before, you have no excuse, reason, right, to worry, fret, or fear. But if you want to bring all that into his presence, he loves you so much, and he is so incarnational, he'll meet you right in the midst of all of that too. But my other exhortation to you is stop it. Because you're wasting your own time. You're future tripping. You're freaking out over nothing. So while she makes space for the invitation, she also misses out on the whole purpose of it. Because you see, you are designed for the presence of God because you are desired by a God who is present. I need you to get this. It's not outside of his nature to want to be with you. It's not outside your nature to be with him. Can I talk? Okay, just... Ladies, check Facebook. Pick where you're going to take your husband to lunch afterwards. Dudes, gentlemen in the room, you are designed for the presence of God. You are designed to be the bride of Christ just as much as your wife. Amen. We might do it different. We might look different. Our response and reaction might be different, or it might not. It might require you to, 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 there we go might make you different. We, but you are designed, come on, uniquely, individually, purposefully for his presence. Ladies, turn your ears back on. 
Okay, so we're all designed to be there. Why? Because we're all desired there. See, he made you. And because he wanted you, listen, listen, listen. Because he wanted you in his presence, he made you not be satisfied anywhere but in his presence. This is why the extra scriptures call him Jehovah Sneaky. (laughs) He snuck within you a desire that could only be fulfilled within his presence. So that you, you, would be, uh, you would be dissatisfied everywhere else except his presence. So you're designed for there. Are you tracking with me? Because you're desired there. He wants you present because he is in and of himself a God who is present. So Martha and Mary are together in this story. Here's what I need you to see as I go real quick. Mary and Martha, test me on this. Mary and Martha are in the same house. Right? Am I, am I correct in my reading of the text? Mary and Martha are in the same environment. Yes or no? Mary and Martha are having very different experiences. Mary and Martha, as the daughters, the women of the house, would have the same cultural expectations as one another. Correct? Am I right? Am I wrong? But they're still having very different experiences. Which fundamentally means that Martha's problem was not an environment problem. Martha's problem was not an expectations that were put upon her problem. See, Jesus exposes what's going on. Martha, it says, is distracted. We talked about this, cumbered. It literally means to be driven or drawn away. The implication is like by sword. That like somebody has a sword to your back and telling you where to go. She's distracted. Mary, we're told, chooses the good portion. That literally means that she has found a proper place or her intended destination. Here's what I need you to see. The source of your distraction is not external atmosphere, but internal attitude. Mary and Martha, both in the same environment, with the same expectations placed upon them, but their interior worlds could not be more different. They've they've set the place up. They've they've prepared everything. Everything's ready. They welcome Jesus. Mary finds his feet and stays there. Martha keeps tripping out. I love this. I love this. I love this. He, he addresses her issue because, again, always, we talked about this, Mary gets it. Always, 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 the good portion, your, your, the portion that you are called to choose, the good place, is always at his feet in his presence because that's where you were designed because that's where you are desired. Are you tracking with me? Are you connecting these things? Am I, are you seeing this? Can I just say this? You always have the choice of what portion you take. 
Are you going to take the portion of your own future tripping, or are you going to take the good portion and just be at his feet? What are you going to give up? Come on, what are you going to take on? What are you going to let go? What are you going to grab a hold of? Are you going to try to be the builder, or are you going to try to be the beloved? Come on, we think our environment, our atmosphere, the external is the problem. The reality is, I'm going to say something I haven't said in a while, but I continue to believe your problem is not your problem. Your proximity is your problem. By proximity, I mean your engagement with his presence. Again, he doesn't do abandonment. He doesn't do let go. He doesn't do get away. He doesn't do see you later. He is always ever present with us. That's why I use the term proximity because it's my awareness of his nearness. You tracking? So the problem, Martha's problem is not her problem. Her problem is her proximity. She had taken on the role of builder and abandoned her place as beloved. Can I say this to you? The answer to the storm that's around you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get real pastoral here for a second. Do I have anybody who's ever gone through a storm before? I, I'm heartbroken at the way some of you laughed because it was deep. <laughs> whether you've gone through a storm before, come on, whether you're going through a storm now, or I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, when you go through your next storm, here's, I have some news for you. I have some good news for you. The answer to the storm around you is always the kingdom within you. The we think the problem is external. He shows that the problem is internal. Again, let's, let's, let's retread this track. Did Mary and Martha both have the same environment and expectations put upon them? Yeah. Did they both have the same experience? No. Jesus exposes the reality is the interior, their interior worlds were this cause of the difference in their experience. I was reading one translation that the New English translation, I believe it was, and it's, Jesus says to, to, to Martha, you fret and fuss about much. <laughs> I almost wanted to title the message, fretting, fussing, and feet, <laughs> but I thought that would be weird. Um, the answer to the storm around you is always the kingdom within you. Why? Because Romans 14, 7, the kingdom of God is peace. So what does Mary find? Let's end here. Let's end here. Where is Mary, what does Mary find in proximity? As she becomes, as she takes advantage of his proximity, what does she find there? Because here, here's, here's, again, what I said, we have both of these voices, right? We have both of these voices. We have the Martha that wants to make room for him, but wants to bring all of our stuff into his presence, <whistles> Right? We have the Martha in us that loves his presence, that wants him in our house, but wants to come to him and just go, don't you care about me? Here's all my problems. You, you, you need to do this stuff. And we have a Mary in us that knows that, like, I just need to sit at his feet. And can I tell you this? This is, this is my own confession. My Martha convinces my Mary that I shouldn't be at his feet. That there's stuff to do. That if I don't do it, nobody's going to do it. 
Because clearly, Jesus isn't going to do it. He's just sitting there. So I guess he must want me to do it. And I want us to look and say, okay, what happens? Because here, here's, I've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, that I, I paint a picture onto the face of God. And my Martha paints this picture onto the face of Jesus. If I sit down, he's going to be mad that I'm not doing all this stuff. If I stop and rest, I'm going to disappoint him, and I love him too much to disappoint him. So what does she find there? What does she find as, as Mary sits at his feet? First thing she finds is acceptance. She was welcomed because she found, we talked about this, her rightful place at his feet. Do you know that culture says, her culture at the time, again, I'm not saying this is how it should have been. I'm saying this is the way it was. The culture says she wasn't allowed to be there. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Women were not allowed to follow Jewish rabbis. At best, she was allowed to be in a room adjacent to that room and maybe hear some of the overflow. Maybe she could be so bold because Jesus was such a rebel. She could have stood in the back of the room. But no, she takes the place of prominence right at his feet. Do you get the picture here is, is as close as she could have been? And what does she find as she breaks cultural expectations, as she pushes through the rules, as she doesn't follow what everything says about her? She comes, and what does she find? She finds acceptance. The culture said no. Jesus said hello. What I'm trying to tell you is this. I don't care how unworthy, unqualified, uninvited you think you are. He has made a place for you. You are accepted in his presence. The gospel is not clean up and come in. Martha, Martha didn't have to, Mary didn't have to put on jeans and a cowboy hat to make her way into with the boys. She was welcomed as she was. The gospel is not fix your stuff, conform to a set image, and then you can come in. It's not a good sermon unless I quote Brennan Manning. God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. Now, I, I push Brennan's quote even farther. I don't think he took it far enough. God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be. God loves you as you are. Come on. So much that he won't leave you as he finds you. But his love is what makes you what you ought to be. Mary found the good portion, her rightful place. She couldn't find her right place if she wouldn't get in her right place. We can't get in our right place so that we can get in our right place. That's what religion tells us we have to do. She found acceptance. She found acceptance. Amen? Next thing she found, and this blows me away, she found security. Proximity is the only place of lasting stability. 
I said I wanted to correct some things about Martha. Martha, here's how it normally gets taught. You shouldn't serve, you should just sit. <laughs> but did you know that Martha, read it, read it for yourself. Go home and read this text again. Martha never gets rebuked for serving. This is why I say, if you want to bring all your junk into his presence, you go right ahead. He's not going to kick you out because of your junk. He's more than happy for you to bring your junk into his presence. Go right ahead. Because he knows that the only solution for your spinning is his peace. He knows, come on, he knows what we don't know. He knows that the answer for the storm around him, even when it's caused by you, is the kingdom that's within him. And he knows his peace is going to trump your stress every single time. So you want to bring it in, go right ahead. He never rebukes her. He never corrects her for serving. What does he correct her for? Trying to steal what Mary had. Trying to put on Mary what was on her. That's where Jesus comes out as the good shepherd. That's where he says, Martha, Martha, and catch this, Martha, Martha, him repeating that was not using her middle name. In, in Greek, to repeat a name was to, was to show kindness, love, and compassion. He was responding to her statement, don't you care? He's saying, Martha, I care more than you know. I care so much that I'm going to push past your childish outburst and get to the heart. Here's what's really going on. And oh, by the way, don't you dare try to take her from this place. She's in the right place here, darling. You want to be, be driven by all sorts of stuff? You go right ahead. This place is not going to be taken from her. What am I telling you? When the Martha voice in your head rises up, Jesus shows up to defend the Mary. He'll allow the Martha... He'll defend the Mary. Here's what I'm trying to get you to hear. Both of those things are in you. <laughs> so what's the grace of God doing in you? He's defending the Mary part of who you are. He'll allow the Martha. He'll allow it. He'll allow it. It's fine. You'll calm down eventually. You got to sleep sometime. But to his beloved, he gives rest. No one's taken that from her. No one's taken that from her. He is your defender, amen? The last thing she finds is incarnation. He is the word made flesh. She hears his voice. His voice to her. His voice for her. His word louder and clearer than anyone else. She was so close that his voice would have been the loudest voice. How do you know when you're in proximity? When his voice, come on, is the loudest voice. There's lots of loud voices. His voice is the loudest. But here's, here's the part I really want you to see. Jesus was a rabbi. I gotta go real quick here. Jesus was a rabbi. That means he didn't talk, he didn't teach in monologue. He taught in dialogue, which means that not only was she able to hear his voice, she was invited into a heavenly, divine, sovereign conversation. You and I are invited into a heaven, divine, sovereign, kingdom conversation. So her place in the divine conversation of God is to be welcomed, accepted, and defended. Amen? Okay. Get that. Heaven right now. Do you get this? Right now, heaven is having a conversation in, the amongst, in and amongst God himself. The Godhead is talking right now. Are you aware of this? 
The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all having a dialogue and a conversation, and your rightful place is in the midst of that conversation. If that doesn't bake your noodle, I got nothing else for you. God himself wants to include you in his conversation amongst himself. Here's what I need us to see, though. We are called, and here's where I make the big shift when we land this plane. We're called, hear me, hear me, hear me. We are called to more than individual experience. We've been talking about this aspect for a long time as a church, this abiding, resting at his feet place. This is not a first time we've heard this, amen? Maybe from a different text, but it's not the first time we've heard this message, right? What I need need us to see is this. We are not just called to an individual experience of abiding. We are called to a corporate expression of abiding. We are called to be a place where we engage together in the divine conversation from the place of rest and abiding. This has to get so on us individually, hear me, that it becomes part of who we are corporately. Why is this so important? Last thing I'm going to read to us today. I promise I'm ending. You've done so well. You're awesome. You know what it means when a preacher says he's going to end, right? It means nothing. 1 Corinthians 14, 24. But if all prophesy, pause, prophecy is simply engaging in the conversation of God. It's hearing him and declaring what he says. It's engaging in divine conversation. Don't let that be about some predicting the future garbage that, you know, Nostradamus did, okay? Not the same thing. Next time we do the prophecy class, take it, we'll teach you all about it. But if all prophesy, can I translate that? If all are engaged in the divine conversation together, if the abiding doesn't just rest on you individually, but rests on us corporately, am I reading this correctly? And an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, and he is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. See, this can't just be something that you do individually. Do you need to do it individually? But it has to grow. We have to learn how to do this individually and we have to learn how to do this together. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up here and I'm I'm going to put one thing up. Today I am announcing, no, I'm not announcing and I'm not inviting. I'm letting you know about something and I'm calling you to something. As a part of who we are for the history of all of our existence, we have had evenings of worship. And here's, in, in the past, here's what we've done. We've invited you to be a part of those evenings. We've let you, we've informed you about their happening. But in this season, as we've been praying as a staff and as, as leaders, we've realized that we need, we need, listen, listen, we need a space to learn how to do what I just talked about together. We need a place to practice, come on, 
engaging in his presence in this way. Amen? So I'm, listen, listen, I'm being very careful with my words here. I'm not, in, I'm not informing you and I'm not inviting you. If, if I'm your pastor, I am calling you to be a part of something we're going we're gonna to be launching on Friday, November 17th, and that is Abide Nights, where we gather together corporately. Listen to me. We gather together corporately, all of us. If this is your church, this is your night. This is not like an optional extra thing if you're like a super Christian. If you're like uber Christian, you get to do this, but if you're like not, no, not, no, 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 no. This is, this is our night to gather together. We need some evenings. Come on, we're gonna, we're gonna sprinkle these in there. Listen, listen, you're gonna have to be people of the spirit because we're not gonna schedule on the fourth Friday of every ninth lunar calendar, whatever. We're just gonna call the church to these moments. Good news, uh, we've talked to Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. They're all gonna be down that night anyway. So there's nothing gonna be good on TV. All sporting events are canceled. No, I don't. It doesn't matter. Come on. It doesn't matter what else is on. We're calling the church to this. Amen? Do you hear me? We need some time to learn how to do this together so that when we gather like this, it's second nature to us. We've already got our practice reps out of the way. We know how to do this. You are designed, come on, for his presence. We are designed as, to, as, as a people of his presence. So we're going to have some evenings. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this idea, what I just sort of touched on. This We talked today about resting at his feet, right? We talked today about hearing his voice. Next week when we, we get together, I want to talk about what it means together, corporately, to host his presence. What does it mean and what are the ramifications of that? So let's stand to our feet and here's, where I want, here's how I want to respond. We're going to respond through our normal ways. We're going to respond through celebration, contemplation, communion. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate. We're going to worship. We're going to take some time to think and meditate. We're going to, we're going to partake in communion. We have uh, tables here at the front that are open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. We take by a method known as in teaching where I take a piece of bread or a gluten-free wafer, dip in the juice, and partake. Again, to be clear, these are open to all who put their faith in Jesus. I know that today's message, listen, was very in-house message, Right? But here's the truth. You're welcome in his presence, whether you're an insider or an outsider, you're welcome. Because he is the one who makes you welcome. You don't make yourself welcome, he makes you welcome. He's, come on, he's building the house, whose house is it? His house, so who gets to decide who's in the house? He does, and you're welcome. He's done everything necessary to make space and make a place for you. So my invitation to you is admit and abandon all the tomfoolery and idiocracy that has kept you from his presence. Admit it, abandon it, and embrace and entrust Jesus for all that you are. And come be in the house with us. And come learn to sit at his feet for yourself. And come learn with us how to sit at his feet together. As we respond I want us to be honest with ourselves. If we're giving more space to the Martha within us or the Mary within us, are you bringing all of your junk into his presence demanding he fix it? Or do you recognize that simply stepping into his presence is the only solution to all of that junk? Are we willing to admit once and for all that all of our fret, fear, worry, anxiety, toil, and stress has not produced any bread worth eating, has given no satisfaction to our souls, 
And are we finally willing to abandon all of our fret and fussing for his feet? If you are, my encouragement is let's do that together right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your goodness toward us. Lord, I pray you make us aware of your presence and that we, God, would engage wholeheartedly with where you've called us to be, that we would recognize our right place, our good portion is at your feet and that we would rest there, that we would find acceptance there. Jesus, rise up and be our great defender against all that seeks to pull us out of that place. Even that which is within us, the questions, the doubt, the discouragement, the frustration, meet us in that place. In Jesus' name, church, let's respond to the Lord.